Wham, glam, thank you, ma'am. Welcome back to the Barbie Trap House with your favorite brunette Barbie. Let's get into it. So I flew out to LA for a photo shoot right after I recorded our last episode. So I'm about to go Boston Tea Party all over you guys about the red flags I should not have overlooked and how my friend boy potentially saved my life by verbally abusing me over the phone in the hallway of a Holiday Inn. That's not actually tea. That's lemon water and salt. Um, Don't ask. So the day I flew out, my friend boy took me to the airport at four o'clock in the morning. When I tell you I am not a morning person, I mean, when I wake up in the morning for the first 10 minutes, I don't remember anything whatsoever. It's a problem, actually. When I was in high school, my mom would have to watch me physically get out of bed to make sure I was up for school because I would literally forget my alarm went off. I would forget that my alarm went off. So I was super freaked out I wouldn't get up, as you can imagine. And I didn't go to bed until three o'clock, which in hindsight was probably worse, but that's not important anymore. So at four o'clock, I head to the airport, I get my suitcase and stuff checked in, and I head over to TSA. For reference, I'm wearing a pink crop top with spaghetti straps and some houndstooth pants and heels. It was super cute, by the way. Well, I'm wearing friend boy's hoodie over my outfit because it's four o'clock in the morning and it's freezing outside. Anyway, I'm putting my bag in the bin, and when it's my turn, this TSA guy asks if I'm wearing anything under my hoodie. So I'm like, um, yeah. And he asked me to take it off, so I did. And immediately, his face turns beet red, and he's like, you can put it back on. You can put it back on. So I guess he thought my shirt was my bra. No comment. Anyway, after that, I take my happy self through the metal detector, and another TSA man asks me to step to the side, and he starts patting me down. He goes up my legs, my chest, my back. You know the drill. Then he puts his hands in my hair and he's like, um, what is that? And I was like, those are hair extensions. And he's like, uh, okay. And then he just let me go. I don't know why he was being so weird about it. I mean, he literally just touched my tits. So you'd think he'd be cool with some hair extensions. I digress. I walk over to my gate and I'm the only one there for like 30 minutes. So I'm stressing at this point. Then a ton of people out of nowhere just start sitting in the waiting room of my gate. So I go back to business as usual and get on my plane. I go to find my seat and there's this man in the seat next to mine. I found out later on the flight his name is Tim. So we'll refer to him as Tim. I am so awkward. Oh my God. I'm cringing just thinking about this. (laughs) I look at this man who I have never met in my life and ask him if he wants me to crawl over him to get into my seat. Don't ask me why I said this to this day. I have no idea why I allowed those words to come out of my mouth. Tim was so nice. He just looked at me and he was like, um, it's okay. I can just get up. Oh my gosh. So the first thing, the first thing Tim said to me when I sat down was, Do you know why they turn the lights off at the beginning and the end of flights? Obviously, I didn't know. So he was like, I'll tell you when we're in the air. So I'm freaking out. And we get about 45 minutes into the flight. And he says, are you ready to know? I had completely forgotten about the question at this point. So now I'm freaked out again because no matter what comes out of Tim's mouth, I am stuck on this metal death trap 35,000 feet in the air for another hour. So without me even responding, he looks over and he says, 
It's because takeoff and landing are the points in the flight where you are most likely to crash. So turning the lights off is a way to soothe the passengers. So in the calmest voice I can muster, I say, Tim, why would you tell me that? We haven't landed yet. Why would you tell me that? (laughs) Also, if anyone knows if this is true or not, my Instagram is McKinsey with six zeros. Please DM me and tell me if this is true or not, because I actually really want to know. After that, I landed in Phoenix. I was super lost in the airport. I only had 20 minutes in between my flights. So imagine a very panicked McKinsey fast walking through the airport, frantically trying to find the right gate. When I finally got the courage to ask a flight attendant I saw walking down the hallway if they knew where my gate was, they looked at me like I was stupid and pointed to the gate I was in front of. So, yeah. I went to go board my flight and I was stopped at the gate by the lady scanning tickets and she says, since you're flying alone, do you want your own row? And I just panic answer and say, oh no, it's fine. And she goes, are you sure? And in my mind, I had already committed to this answer, so no matter how much I wanted my own row, no was what I was sticking with. I don't do well with questions I don't have time to think about, so again, I'm like, oh no, it's fine. And then I just got on my flight. There was another man dressed in a suit with one of those black earpiece thingies in the seat beside mine. I never learned his name, for obvious reasons. And I'm learning from our mistakes now. I politely ask him to stand up so I can get to my chair. He looks me up and down and sighed. So he got up, I sat down, said thank you, and asked him what his name was. And before the full sentence even left my mouth, he grabs a flight attendant and whispers something in their ear. And without another word, I'm sitting by myself. I don't know if I scared him or what, but he did not want to sit next to me, I guess. Hey, but I ended up getting my own row, so it worked out for me, I guess. (laughs) Whatever. I'm not bitter. Anyway, when I landed in LA, my friend who I'd shot with back in the past picked me up from the airport and took me around to all the hottest spots in LA, starting with the most important and dearest to my heart, the mall. When I got there, the first thing I did was go get food because I had been up since 4.30 a.m. and I was starving. In my state, we don't have Cinnabon, so I tried it. And guys, Cinnabon is the most delicious food on this planet. I could honestly make an entire episode just over Cinnabon. I went to my hotel room and got all checked in. It was so big and it was on the 14th floor. So the view was so pretty. Y'all, palm trees are my favorite thing in the whole world and they were everywhere. I could see so many out my window and that made me so happy. In the midst of my euphoria, this man had the audacity to say, so I guess this is where we're staying this weekend. Honestly, I was having a full-blown panic attack at this point, so I do not remember a good portion of this exchange. So I actually brought friend boy over here to my recording studio so he can give you a better retelling of the story. So, hey, Chad, Mike's yours. Thanks, Kenzie. So this is all from my point of view. Mackenzie had been Snapchatting me whenever she could after I dropped her off at the airport. And after hearing about the flight and Tim and everything, I get a snap of her showing off of the hotel room. Then she messages me and says, this man just said we're staying in the same room. 
As I find out later, the actual way the story went down is she's all excited about the room and he says to her, well, I guess this is where we're staying tonight. This is what I know. She's all the way in California with a middle-aged man in a hotel room with one bed. She's panicking. So she's flooding my phone with messages. And I ask her point blank, do you want me to be in problem-solving mode or do you just want me to listen? She tells me she wants me in problem-solving mode. So that's what I do. So the first thing I want to do is try and calm us down so that we can think clearly about how to get out of this. So I ask her, what's the worst thing that could happen? She doesn't skip a beat and says, I could be murdered. So I say, okay, you're out there for three nights. What are the odds you're murdered on the first night? Which which I don't think helped her at all. Then I start giving her excuses she could use to get out of it. Like I tell her to pretend I'm her boyfriend and say that she won't even sleep in the same room as me and that like I wouldn't be comfortable with her being in a bedroom with another guy, blah, blah, blah. So then I get a phone call from her immediately and I give her my usual greeting when she calls me and I say, what's up? And she immediately goes into saying, hey, don't be mad at me. We're going to be okay. I'm sorry. Don't be mad. And I'm totally confused at this point. Turns out she was in the room with the guy and was faking me being mad at her to leave the room. I didn't find that out until later. Then once she gets to the hallway, she was immediately shushing me saying, shh, hey, it's all okay. Everything's gonna be okay. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I know. And she says, we're waiting out here for a couple minutes. And I'm like, okay, well, what are we waiting for? And she says, until I'm ready to argue. So I just start telling her about my day. And after a couple of minutes of that, she says, keep talking. I'm going to make myself cry. Now, Mackenzie can make herself cry. It's one of her talents. But when she's stressed, she can't do it. So I ask, well, what do you want me to talk about? Do you want me to keep talking about my day? Do you want me to be mean? And she says, yeah, be mean. Be as mean to me as possible. You have free reign to say whatever you want. This is good. This is for me. This is going to keep me from getting murdered. And I instantly get stage fright. I do not know how to be mean to Mackenzie. I mean, I know her triggers, but I can't say them. I wouldn't be able to use her insecurities and have that feel genuine. So I start stuttering and stammering and filling up full 30 second windows between the saying the weakest attacks I could ever possibly make with ums and uhs. The things I'm saying are like, are you even good at modeling? You know, your car is kind of dirty and feeling completely horrible about these weak attacks. And I even apologize once in the middle of all this. She ends up getting fed up with me and how I cannot attack her and tries to take control a little bit. She tells me, talk to me about my And I just say, uh, yeah, it's no wonder you're Then I hear tears in her voice and completely unrelated. She says, I don't know why you're making such a big deal out of this. And I get way more confused, but I try to play off of that. I found out later she was just walking towards the door and wanted to make it seem like she was still having an argument with her boyfriend. It's all kind of a blur what was said. Probably you suck or something. And then she says, I'm going to go still sounding like she's crying. And I say, yeah, why don't you do that then? She hung up. And to this day, that is still the weirdest phone call I've ever had. But it all worked out in the end because the dude said he'll just go sleep in his car, probably just to try to guilt her. We really didn't care. She didn't get murdered, and we view that as a dub. So that's my side of the story. I'm sure Mackenzie has a few more things to say, so uh, Kenzie, you can have the mic back. Thanks, Chad, for coming on the show, and thank you so, so much for listening. Next episode, we're going to continue this story, but for now, here's some advice. Don't ask strangers to crawl over them on airplanes, and if you haven't tried Cinnabon, you need to. That wraps up this episode. Make sure to subscribe and check out my Instagram, McKenzie with six zeros. Peace up, A-Town down. See you next time.